Chapter 3 At the Villa, Genevieve In a moment, Poirot had leapt from the car, his eyes blazing with excitement. He caught the man by the shoulder. What is that, you say? Murdered? When? How? The Sergeant de Vie drew himself up. I cannot answer any questions, monsieur. True, I comprehend, Poirot reflected for a minute. The commissary of police, he is without doubt within. Yes, monsieur. Poirot took out a card and scribbled a few words on it. Voila. Will you have the goodness to see that this card is sent into the commissary at once? The man took it and, turning his head over his shoulder, whistled. In a few seconds, a comrade joined him and was handed Poirot's message. There was a wait of some minutes, and then a short, stout man with a huge mustache came bustling down to the gate. The sergeant de Vie saluted and stood aside. "'My dear Monsieur Poirot,' cried the newcomer, "'I am delighted to see you. Your arrival is most opportune.' Poirot's face had lighted up. "'Monsieur Bex, this is indeed a pleasure,' He turned to me. This is an English friend of mine, Captain Hastings, Monsieur Lucien Bex. The commissary and I bowed to each other ceremoniously. Then Monsieur Bex turned once more to Poirot. Mon vieux, I've not seen you since 1909, that time in Ostend. I heard you had left the force. So I have. I've run a private business in London. And you say you have information to give which may assist us. "'Possibly. You know it already. "'You were aware that I had been sent for.' "'No. By whom?' "'The dead man. "'It seems he knew an attempt was going to be made on his life. "'Unfortunately, he sent for me too late. "'So he foresaw his own murder. "'That upsets our theories considerably. "'But come inside.' "'He held the gate open, and we commenced walking towards the house. "'Monsieur Bex continued to talk.' The examining magistrate, Monsieur Hautet, must hear of this at once. He has just finished examining the scene of the crime and is about to begin his interrogations. A charming man. You will like him. Most sympathetic, original in his methods, but an excellent judge. When was the crime committed? asked Poirot. The body was discovered this morning, about nine o'clock. Madame Renaud's evidence and that of the doctor's "'goes to show that the death must have occurred about 2 a.m. "'But enter, I pray of you.' "'We had arrived at the steps which led up to the front door of the villa. "'In the hall, another sergeant de Vie was sitting. "'He rose at the sight of the commissary. "'Where is Monsieur Hautet now?' inquired the latter. "'In the salon, Monsieur.' "'Monsieur Bex opened a door to the left of the hall, and we passed in.' Monsieur Hautet and his clerk were sitting at a big round table. They looked up as we entered. The commissary introduced us and explained our presence. Monsieur Hautet was a tall, gaunt man with piercing dark eyes and a neatly cut gray beard, which he had a habit of caressing as he talked. Standing by the mantelpiece was an elderly man with slightly stooping shoulders who was introduced to us as Dr. Durand. "'Most extraordinary,' remarked Monsieur Hautet, "'as the commissary finished speaking. "'You have the letter here, Monsieur.' "'Poirot handed it to him, and the magistrate read it. "'Hm. He speaks of a secret. "'What a pity he was not more explicit. "'We are much indebted to you, Monsieur Poirot. 
I hope you'll do us the honor of assisting us in our investigations. Or are you obliged to return to London? I propose to remain. I did not arrive in time to prevent my client's death, but I feel myself bound in honor to discover the assassin. The magistrate bowed. These sentiments do you honor. Also, without doubt, Madame Renaud will wish to retain your services. We are expecting Monsieur Giraud from Paris any moment, and I am sure that you and he will be able to give each other mutual assistance in your investigations. In the meantime, I hope you will do me the honor to be present at my interrogations, and I need hardly say that if there is any assistance you require, it is at your disposal. I thank you, Monsieur. You will comprehend that at present I am completely in the dark. I know nothing whatever. Monsieur Hote nodded to the commissary, and the latter took up the tale. This morning, the old servant Francoise, on descending to start her work, found the front door ajar. Feeling a momentary alarm as to burglars, she looked into the dining room, but seeing the silver was safe, she thought no more about it, concluding that her master had, without doubt, risen early and gone for a stroll. Pardon, monsieur, for interrupting, but was that a common practice of his? No, it was not, but old Francoise had the common idea, as regards the English, that they are mad and liable to do the most unaccountable things at any moment. Going to call her mistress as usual, a younger maid, Leonie, was horrified to discover her gagged and bound, and almost at the same moment news was brought that Monsieur Renaud's body had been discovered, stone dead, stabbed in the back. Where? That is one of the most extraordinary features of the case, Monsieur Poirot. The body was lying, face downwards, in an open grave. What? Yes, the pit was freshly dug just a few yards outside the boundary of the villa grounds. And he had been dead how long? Dr. Durand answered this. I examined the body this morning at ten o'clock. Death must have taken place at least seven and possibly ten hours previously. Hmm. That fixes it between midnight and three a.m. Exactly. And Madame Renaud's evidence places it at after two a.m., which narrows the field still further. Death must have been instantaneous and naturally could not have been self-inflicted. Poirot nodded, and the commissary resumed. Madame Renaud was hastily freed from the cords that bound her by the horrified servants. She was in a terrible condition of weakness, almost unconscious from the pain of her bonds. It appears that two masked men entered the bedroom, gagged and bound her, while forcibly abducting her husband. This we know at second hand from the servants. On hearing the tragic news, she fell at once into an alarming state of agitation. On arrival, Dr. Durand immediately prescribed a sedative, and we have not yet been able to question her. But, without doubt, she will awake, more calm, and be equal to bearing the strain of the interrogation. The commissary paused. And the inmates of the house, monsieur. There's old Francoise, the housekeeper. She lived for many years with the former owners of the Villa Genevieve. Then there are two young girls, sisters, Denise and Leonie Ollard. Their home is in Merlin V, and they come of the most respectable parents. Then there is a chauffeur whom Monsieur Renaud brought over from England with him, but he is away on a holiday. 
Finally, there are Madame Renaud and her son, Monsieur Jacques Renaud. He, too, is away from home at present. Poirot bowed his head. Monsieur Hotet spoke. Marchot, the sergeant de Ville, appeared. Bring in the woman Francoise. The man saluted and disappeared. In a moment or two, he returned, escorting the frightened Francoise. Your name is Francoise Erechet. Yes, monsieur. "'You've been a long time in service at the Villa Genevieve. Eleven years with Madame la Vicomtesse. "'Then, when she sold the villa this spring, "'I consented to remain on with the English Myler. "'Never did I imagine.' "'The magistrate cut her short. "'Without doubt, without doubt. "'Now, Francoise, in this matter of the front door, "'whose business was it to fasten it at night? "'Mine, monsieur. "'Always I saw to it myself. "'And last night?' "'I fastened it as usual. "'You are sure of that? "'I swear it by the blessed saints, monsieur. "'What time would that be? "'The same time as usual, half past ten, monsieur. "'What about the rest of the household? "'Had they gone up to bed? "'Madame had retired some time before. "'Denise and Leonie went up with me. "'Monsieur was still in his study. "'Then, if anyone unfastened the door afterwards, "'it must have been Monsieur Renaud himself.' "'Francoise shrugged her broad shoulders. "'What should he do that for, "'with robbers and assassins passing every minute? "'A nice idea. "'Monsieur was not an imbecile. "'It is not as though he had to let Sikdam out.' "'The magistrate interrupted sharply. "'Sikdam? "'What lady do you mean? "'Why, the lady who came to see him. "'Had a lady been to see him that evening? "'But yes, monsieur, "'and many other evenings as well. "'Who was she?' "'Did you know her?' "'A rather cunning look spread over the woman's face. "'How should I know who it was?' she grumbled. "'I did not let her in last night.' "'Aha!' roared the examining magistrate, "'bringing his hand down with a bang on the table. "'You would trifle with the police, would you? "'I demand that you tell me at once the name of this woman "'who came to visit Monsieur Renaud in the evenings.' "'The police, the police,' grumbled Francoise. "'Never did I think that I should be mixed up with the police. "'But I know well enough who she was. "'It was Madame d'Abril.' "'The commissary uttered an exclamation "'and leaned forward as though in utter astonishment. "'Madame d'Abril, from the Villa Marguerite, just down the road. "'That is what I said, monsieur. "'Oh, she's a pretty one,' the old woman tossed her head scornfully. "'Madame d'Abril,' murmured the commissary. "'Impossible.' "'Voila!' grumbled Francoise. "'That's all you get for telling the truth.' "'Not at all,' said the examining magistrate soothingly. "'We were surprised. That is all. "'Madame d'Abril, then, and Monsieur Renaud, "'they were—' he paused delicately. "'Ah, uh, it was that without doubt? "'How should I know? "'But what will you? "'Monsieur, he was très riche.' And Madame Dubril, she was poor, that one, and très chic, for all that she lives so quietly with her daughter. Not a doubt of it. She has had her history. She is no longer young, but ma foi. I who speak to you have seen the men's heads turn after her as she goes down the street. Besides, lately, she's had more money to spend. All the town knows it. The little economies, they're at an end. And Francoise shook her head with an air of unalterable certainty. Monsieur Hotet stroked his beard reflectively. "'And Madame Renaud,' he asked at length, "'how did she take this friendship?' 
Francoise shrugged her shoulders. She was always most amiable, most polite. One would say that she suspected nothing. But all the same, is it not so? The heart suffers, monsieur. Day by day I have watched Madame grow paler and thinner. She was not the same woman who arrived here a month ago. Monsieur, too, has changed. He also has had his worries. One could see that he was on the brink of a crisis of the nerves. And who could wonder, with an affair conducted such a fashion? No reticence, no discretion. Style anglais, without doubt. I bounded indignantly in my seat, but the examining magistrate was continuing his questions, undistracted by side issues. You say that Monsieur Renaud had not to let Madame d'Abril out. Had she left then? Yes, Monsieur. I heard them come out of the study and go to the door. Monsieur said good night and shut the door after her. What time was that? About twenty-five minutes after ten, Monsieur. Do you know when Monsieur Renaud went to bed? I heard him come up about ten minutes after we did. The stair creaks so that one hears everyone who goes up and down. And that is all. You heard no sound of disturbance during the night. Nothing whatever, Monsieur. Which of the servants came down the first in the morning? I did, Monsieur. At once I saw the door swinging open. What about the other downstairs windows? Were they all fastened? Every one of them. There is nothing suspicious or out of place anywhere. Good, Francoise. You can go. The old woman shuffled towards the door. On the threshold, she looked back. I will tell you one thing, monsieur. That Madame Dubril, she is a bad one. Oh, yes. One woman knows about another. She is a bad one. Remember that. And shaking her head sagely, Francoise left the room. Leonie Oulard, called the magistrate. Leonie appeared dissolved in tears and inclined to be hysterical. Monsieur Hotte dealt with her adroitly. Her evidence was mainly concerned with the discovery of her mistress, gagged and bound, of what she gave rather an exaggerated account. She, like Francoise, had heard nothing during the night. Her sister Denise succeeded her. She agreed that her master had changed greatly of late. Every day he became more and more morose. He ate less. He was always depressed. But Denise had her own theory. Without doubt, it was the mafia he had on his track. Two mass men, who else could it be? A terrible society, that. It is, of course, possible, said the magistrate smoothly. Now, my girl, was it you who admitted Madame d'Abril to the house last night? Not last night, monsieur, the night before. But Francoise has just told us that Madame d'Abril was here last night. No, monsieur. A lady did come to see Monsieur Renaud last night, but it was not Madame Dubril. Surprised, the magistrate insisted, but the girl held firm. She knew Madame Dubril perfectly by sight. This lady was dark also, but shorter and much younger. Nothing could shake her statement. Had you ever seen this lady before? Never, Monsieur. And then the girl added diffidently, but I think she was English. English? Yes, monsieur. She asked for monsieur Renaud in quite good French, but the accent, one can always tell it, n'est-ce pas? Besides, when they came out of the study, they were speaking in English. Did you hear what they said? Could you understand it, I mean? Me? I speak the English very well, said Denise with pride. The lady was speaking too fast for me to catch what she said, but I heard monsieur's last words as he opened the door for her. 
She paused, and then repeated carefully and laboriously, "'Yes, yes, but for God's sake, go now.' "'Yes, yes, but for God's sake, go now,' repeated the magistrate. He dismissed Denise, and after a moment or two for consideration, recalled Francoise. To her, he propounded the question as to whether she had not made a mistake in fixing the night of Madame Dubril's visit. Francoise, however, proved unexpectedly obstinate. It was last night that Madame Dubril had come. Without a doubt, it was she. Denise wished to make herself interesting. Voila! So she had cooked up this fine tale about a strange lady. Airing her knowledge of English, too. Probably Monsieur had never spoken that sentence in English at all. And even if he had, it proved nothing, for Madame Dubril spoke English perfectly and generally used that language when talking to Monsieur and Madame Renaud. You see... Monsieur Jack, the son of Monsieur, was usually here, and he spoke the French very badly. The magistrate did not insist. Instead, he inquired about the chauffeur, and learned that only yesterday Monsieur Renaud's had declared that he was not likely to use the car, and that masters might just as well take a holiday. A perplexed frown was beginning to gather between Poirot's eyes. "'What is it?' I whispered. He shook his head impatiently and asked a question. "'Pardon, Monsieur Bex, but without doubt, Monsieur Renaud could drive the car himself.' The commissary looked over at Francoise, and the old woman replied promptly, "'No, Monsieur did not drive himself.' Poirot's frown deepened. "'I wish you would tell me what is worrying you,' I said impatiently. "'See you not? In his letter, Monsieur Renaud speaks of sending the car for me, to Calais. Perhaps he meant a hired car, I suggested. Doubtless that is so, but why hire a car when you have one of your own? Why choose yesterday to send away the chauffeur on a holiday, suddenly, at a moment's notice? Was it that for some reason he wanted him out of the way before we arrived? Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.